Welcome to Pediatric Meltdown, the podcast for busy pediatricians who want to better understand children's emotional health and behaviors and gain the skills and knowledge to help them thrive. I'm Leah Gugino, a primary care pediatrician. I see patients every day who struggle with depression, anxiety, and even suicidal thoughts. And I know you see these kids too. Pediatric Meltdown offers thoughtful conversations featuring experts from the field. Learn practical strategies from the best and become a savvier clinician. Hi, and welcome back to Pediatric Meltdown. My guest today is Dr. Martha Middlemist. Dr. Middlemist is a board-certified general pediatrician at Pediatrics 5280 in Centennial, Colorado. Her practice is actively involved in quality initiatives, practice transformation, and participates in a clinically integrated network of care. She is a fellow of the American Academy of Pediatrics and earned her medical degree from the University of Colorado School of Medicine and then completed her pediatric residency training at Children's Hospital Colorado. She is actively involved with the American Academy of Pediatrics, serving as the current district chair for District 8 and is a member of the board of directors. Her passions are advocacy, physician wellness, and promoting child health and well-being, and she is a member of the Wellness Advisory Group at the AAP. Please join me in welcoming Dr. Middlemist. Hey, Martha, how are you? I'm great, Leah. Good morning. Thank you. I appreciate you joining me. Uh, It's snowy here in Michigan. I don't know how it is where you are. Oh, it's a beautiful day. I happen to be up in the mountains in Avon, Colorado, and um, it's about 28 degrees and just lovely. No snow today. Oh, you guys get all the sun. I, we've just been shrouded in clouds for days and days and days. So I'm I'm envious. Well, listen, I just wanted to get started with why you chose pediatrics and what was your path? Well, I would say that my journey into pediatrics started when I was pretty young. Um, I have an identical twin sister. And when we were nine years old, um, she was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. And um that was a long time ago, and they really didn't know what was going on with her. She ended up in the ICU and was, believe it or not, probably hospitalized for a month compared to what happens today when kids are diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. And um, just, I think, her struggles along um, her pathway um, of the care that she received or the lack of knowledge and those types of things um, perked my interest. So that was probably the reason, you know, when I applied to med school um, I thought about medicine and a little bit of pediatrics. And, and, and then as I became more educated and realized um, how difficult it is to manage a type 1 diabetic, that, that area of interest just stayed. I think in, in med school and doing rotations, though, I would have to say pediatrics above all, I had more fun. I enjoyed it for the reasons that kids are forgiving. And actually, it's a happy field of medicine. Kids are resilient, they usually recover. And I think one of the biggest things that I uh, that impacted me is that the problems children have are not self inflicted. And I think a lot of adult problems that um, people struggle with in healthcare um, are self inflicted. Um, You know, they smoke too much, they drink too much, they don't take good care of themselves. And when you look at children, they're innocent for the most part. You know, some adolescents do some self-inflicting things. But I really felt so empowered by the fact that I was helping kids with problems that um, they didn't cause themselves. So I think that that was really the impact. 
Well, I, you mentioned something. I shared similar feelings after I did my rotation on internal medicine. I'm like, no, not that one. <laughs> but uh, I think, you know, those things that adults often do, we know have roots in childhood, early childhood, their experiences, and that, you know, someone who's had a difficult childhood is more likely to have substance use. So I kind of see it too as an opportunity to really prevent something upstream, which is also, you know, a responsibility, but it's also exciting that we have that. Right. I think that's probably the reason I ended up in general peds and not subspecialty peds too, is I think I felt like I could make an impact. Like you said, if, if I see children with adverse childhood events, that perhaps you can change their course. And it's a little harder to do in, in a subspecialty type of peds. So I think that's how I ended up in general peds as well. Yeah. And, and I would totally second your, this is fun. My mom recently asked me, she's 88, why I chose pediatrics. And I said, or did I like my job? And I said, it is so much fun. And her comment was really fun. I'm like, absolutely. I mean, kids make you laugh. And there's some obviously hard things and sad things, but the majority is not. I mean, it it really is a very fun job. Right. I agree with you. I sometimes try, maybe this is a wellness thing, every day to think of what was the best thing a kid said to me that day or what, what made me laugh the most. And most of the time, if I'm in a room and a kid says something and I think it's the best thing I heard all day, I, I'll say to the parents, that made my day. This is why I this, I love my job for this very reason. Exactly. I, yeah. Not too long ago, I had a little girl that demonstrated her hip hop dance and it was so cute. Her mom <laughs> put the song on her phone and this little girl just broke into dance. It was so cute. I mean, you can't, you, you just can't duplicate. That's not going to happen in an adult practice. If it did, right. you might be wondering what was going on, right? Exactly. And it doesn't happen in the adult job world, you know, but, uh, you know, we get a job, we get to play with kids and they're so uninhibited. Right, right. A lot of joy there. Well, yes. one of the things um, you are very involved in the American Academy of Pediatrics and in fact, are on the board of directors, and that is a big job. And you represent you told me 15 state chapters, which is a phenomenal number of chapters to try and coordinate and support. And you're also on the wellness advisory group. Um, can you talk a little bit about your work with the AAP and kind of the AAP's focus on physician wellness? Sure. I'll kind of tell you how I landed on wellness and, and the wellness advisory group. And um, the very fun part of this story is that um, if you're familiar at all with the American Academy of Pediatrics annual leadership forum, which is similar to what the AMA does, where we bring forth resolutions to try to get the academy to focus on um, current problems or current health initiatives. And um I, it was probably about five years ago, um, I was working with one of our state chapter presidents, um, Bill Cosgrove of Utah, and we were both, you know, thinking about resilience and physician wellness. And he came to me and he shared a story of his practice. And the story was that um, he was in a small general pediatric group with about seven providers and just, you know, they would do their day-to-day job. And he noticed that one of his partners um, seemed like he was not doing well. And so Bill approached him and reached out to him to make sure that he was doing fine. And of course, like physicians do, he said, there's some personal stuff, but um, I'm fine. I'm here. I'm doing my job. I love my job. And three days later, 
this physician shot and killed his wife. And this horrific, tragic story really drove Bill to think about he should have done more. How did he not know this troubled physician, you know, who he worked right next to? So he and I decided to write a resolution to start the academy um, down the road of focusing. We, We focus on kids a lot. We focus on kids and being resilient and well and healthy and their adverse childhood events. And he said, we need to do more for doctors. And if you, when we both started to look into it, it was amazing when you read about um, the occupation in the United States that has the highest suicide rate is medicine. And even in pediatrics, there is suicide. So together we wrote a resolution and the resolution was um, in the top 10 at the ALF. And what that means, if you have a top 10 resolution at the annual leadership forum, uh, the academy tends to focus more on those issues. And so this uh, resolution ended up in Dr. Fan Tate's office, and she kind of became in charge of working on physician wellness as a health initiative for the academy. And because I was an author of this resolution, um, she pulled me in and said, we're going to do this together. And so, so it's been a slow churn. Florence Riviera is a, an amazing staff person at the Academy. So the three of us um, met with uh, leaders of other pediatric organizations of the Federation of Pediatric FOPO and uh, ACGME leaders. And um, so leaders across the spectrum who take care of pediatricians and um, kind of developed a format of, of how we were going to start this wellness initiative for the academy. Um, the next step we took was to develop the wellness advisory group. And the wellness advisory group, um, when we put out the applications for people to join, I think we had 150 applicants for uh, eight positions. Um, and so Florence this, uh, and Fan went through some of the applications and we whittled it down to 20. And then I got involved and we ended up choosing our representatives. And we were very focused on making sure that this wellness advisory group is diverse. So we have an older pediatrician, we have general pediatricians, we have subspecialists represented, we have women, we have women of color, um, we have a rural practice representative, we have uh, academic practices represented on this group. So we tried to really be thoughtful of who we were going to include in this group. And then clearly we chose people who had um, a passion for um, physician wellness. And so that group has been together for probably 18 months or so. Ironically, we really started to get a lot of work done developing the website for the academy that has resources available, and then COVID hit. And it just changed the course of of what this wellness advisory group, the direction, and we kind of had to come to a grinding halt and think about wellness in a different way. Right. I mean, everything's come to a halt, right? Although Uh there's been some interesting things. I mean, for example, what we're doing, I think it would be difficult to do pre-COVID because of all the technology. So there is something to that. I wanted to kind of highlight something you said about, you know, you and one other person had this idea and you floated it through the resolution process. And I certainly want to remind any pediatricians that are listening that one person, one idea can make a huge change in a very large organization. And that was my biggest hook into becoming more involved in AAP leadership was that idea that everyone has this ability to have a voice. 
I agree. That was, was my hook too. And when I think back, when I'm doing the work, I don't think about it. When I think back, it just makes me smile that it started with a, a networking conversation with one individual. And it is now one of the pillars of the health initiatives of the Academy. And I really will tell you, I didn't really know much about physician wellness until Bill and I worked together on this project. Right. You just kind of learn on the on the fly. Right. right the other right. thing I really liked is um, when you talked about choosing the members of your group and that it was diverse. And I think it's important that we have to be intentional about how we pull people into leadership positions. I don't think we can just say, well, they need to apply. And I think about some things I've been involved where there were no women in a leadership. And I said, what is wrong here? And they're like, oh, well, nobody was interested. Well, my thought is then you go out and find them. You know, you you intentionally recruit people when there's a need. Because certainly in what you're doing, I would think um, what works for someone in a rural practice would be very different than perhaps in a large academic organization. Yes, I mean what we what we found is that um, actually academic centers probably have the best resources for for physicians. Um, they they now really focus on physician wellness, and so people who work in the academic centers, not all of them, mind you, um, but they have a lot of access. They have access to um, other providers um, within a group to work on wellness. They have wellness initiatives. Um, even um, residents and um, med students, I think, have a real opportunity now where because people recognize the face of, of if you have well physicians, you have well patients um, and the importance of all of that. I would say I think the hardest bucket that we have struggled to help are general pediatricians working in their communities, even in um, urban areas and suburb areas, but mostly the rural the rural docs. And I think that the rural pediatricians, the access other than using technology and getting on their computer to look up resources and do some some self-help type of things, I think that um, they are the hardest group in order for us to wrap our head around how do we help those folks from a wellness perspective, because it's not like they have a big community hospital they can go to and, and talk with others and network with others. They're fairly isolated. So that's been a big struggle. I bet those those strategies would be different. Um, I, I was thinking back what you said about, you know, med students and residents. This sounds like a very different approach to um, not teaching by humiliation and intimidation, that perhaps the focus has not been, you know, to um, make people perform by making them feel bad that they don't know things, but rather, you know, taking care of yourself and recognizing our limitations and asking for help. So on that note, um, what are some strategies that can be helpful? I mean, should I just start meditating or doing yoga? Well, I, I think it's what we've come to realize is I think that you can put this in silos of wellness. And so for some people, yes, I think meditation does work and yoga works. And, um, you know, for others, it's, it's not helpful at all. And I think in terms of some strategies, are definitely, I think of the bucket of there's self wellness, there's family wellness, practice wellness or job wellness, and then there's financial wellness. And I think in, in each one of those buckets, there's different strategies. And, and certainly um, 
we didn't really focus much on the financial piece of, of thinking about wellness until COVID hit. And then the recognition that practices, especially general pediatric small practices, were going to have to close and some of them have. And, and then even I think the children's hospitals struggled because with COVID, they kind of shut down and had no business. So there's this strategy of thinking about how can you help yourself from a financial perspective. And I think the academy was very helpful at the beginning, especially with the um, PPP loans um, and helping people um, figure out how to document what they needed to get the PPP loans and, and that piece of it. But also, I think people being very thoughtful of making sure you have personal savings. And um, so there is this portion you have to think about from a financially healthy practice and then a financially healthy home. And I think that could cause a great stress if people aren't aren't well in either one of those um, areas. Well, I think of the crushing debt that some residents, I mean, you know, $200,000, $300,000. I mean, that's that's a house. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Yes. A hundred percent. It's interesting. I don't know if you're aware, Lynn Olson, who is a researcher for the Academy, does a study called the Places Study. And Places acronym is, oh, forgive me. I'll have to, I'll have to let you know. But the acronym P-L-A-C-E-S, and she um, surveys early career physicians. And she did a survey on on wellness. And I it was just remarkable to me um, the number of early career physicians who express burnout. And then some of the big stressors for them are financial, um, for sure. But the Places study is a very interesting study. Um, to look at some of the data on the early career um, physicians and kind of where they're at with their wellness. Yeah, it's staggering. I mean, I even think about my loans were, I mean, small. I think I had $28,000 or something like that, which sounds ridiculous compared to some of these, but I didn't pay off my loans till I was 40, you know, and I had a family and, you know, all those stressors and nobody ever ask me or suggested, or, I mean, I, I didn't know what I was doing, to be honest. I mean, I was, you know, 25 when I started my residency. So, you know. Yes. Right. And I think that the Academy, when they recognize that, um, you know, debt that they incur, they do have um, loan forgiveness strategies to help the, actually the early careers and the, even the residents can tap into a resource through the Academy that um, it is a, uh, teaches them financial wellness and strategies on, on how to go about paying off their loans and things. So there is that resource for them as well. We'll have to make sure that we put links in the show notes to some of those pages. Can you talk a little bit about these other um, areas like self, family, work, workplace seems sort of, you know, straightforward for me in that anything that could alleviate the amount of charting, you know, I would chart for, you know, two, three hours at night you know, that was something, um, you know, certainly I felt fortunate. I have like super supportive partners and, you know, I knew if the chips were down and I needed to leave right now, I could, but, um, maybe you could talk a little bit about those other three, you know, these three pockets too. Sure. I think, um, the other link for people to look at is the National Academy of Medicine's um, Physician Resiliency webpage because they they actually break down practice into many, many categories. And I think um, some of the things are the stressors of charting and, um, you know, recognizing that you might work better with a template that gives you a little bit of extra time. And, and so in this day and age, being able to speak up and say, 
I can't see 35 patients in a day. My, I, I, I'm a better physician if I see 20 and actually have control over your schedule and how you schedule it. And so um, there's the burnout of, of constant charting. And so the other strategy is sometimes people need a little mentoring on how they chart and how they get through their chart so that they don't spend hours at home. Um, you know, I think we all recognize I work with 15 other physicians in my practice and one of them is a super, super efficient person at charting. So she mentored our young physicians when they came in to show how she is able to get through her charts, not taking shortcuts, but um, definitely more efficient with her charting and then managing schedules and, and those types of, of workplace I think you also have to have workplace wellness by exactly what you said, having supportive, caring people around you who recognize that maybe you need a day off and that maybe there's something going on and you need to be gone by four o'clock and the other supportive partners or, you know, even in a hospital situation can take over for you and let you go. And I think that really contributes to workplace place wellness. And I think having a safe environment and, and somebody to talk to. Because when I go to work, uh, I, I need those people to be like family. And I think whether you work in an academic setting, a rural practice, um, a subspecialty, having somebody who you can kind of vent to once in a while about your frustrations, I think is a great pop-off valve from a workplace wellness perspective. And what about self and family? Well, I think self is so important because I think if people aren't personally well, um, it it then kind of leaks into the family wellness, <clears throat> pardon me, and it <clears throat> leaks into workplace wellness as well. And so I think in terms of things that people can do personally is, is figure out how do you become a resilient person? And that's taking time every day to make sure you have some personal time, whether that's um, going on a run, going on a bike ride, but exercise is as we all know, we talk to our adolescents about it. We talk to families about the importance of exercise and the endorphins and how it brings happiness um, and sometimes peace of mind. And so that's an important key of, of your wellness. And then I think the two other things that we talk a lot about are nutrition, eating healthy and eating well, taking good care of yourself, sleep is a third pocket, making sure you have good sleep hygiene and, um, you know, you don't stay up till two in the morning charting and then get back to um, work at 6 a.m., having to round at the hospital or something. Those three areas are, uh, I think, incredibly important for um, people's personal wellness. I think back to residency, you know, there was, of course, a lot of, um, you know, gee, I stayed up for 36 hours and it was almost like a badge of bravery. And of course, now we have those limits on how long people can work. And, um, and, and I think that's a good thing. I'm not sure being exhausted. I think that there's, you know, am I really a better physician because I'm exhausted? I mean, does that make sense? And um, certainly, I think that was a good thing. I, I remember sleeping in the ICU in a bed because I had to be up all night. And I, you know, wonder about what were those decisions? What were those decisions like when I did that? Oh, I, I couldn't agree more. I think it was very unhealthy for people's personal well-being in, in, in that day and age. I, I do think that they do a much better job in terms of, you know, some people think that residents don't work hard enough. And I still think they work very hard, but in probably a more appropriate way. 
Right, right. And I do feel like the my younger partners value family and have been much more outspoken about, like, I need to be home for my kids. And when I first started, I mean, you know, I worked full time. I had a little one. And then I had my second child when I first started in practice. And I finally, I was the only woman in the group. And I finally said, I can't do this. I just, I can't do, I can't be everything And so asked to work part-time and I was the first person to do that. And for me, you know, I got the adult time and fulfilled the, you know, the joy of having a career, um, you know, the independence, the financial part of that. But then I got to be a mom and that for me worked really well. And I would certainly say to anybody, think about part-time if you can afford to do that. I agree with you 100%. And you brought up a really good point in terms of personal wellness. And I think some personal wellness is being able to speak up and having being empowered to say, this isn't going well for me and I need something to change. Because I think physicians have that habit of just doing it, do your duty. And I think when people can empower themselves to speak up to make their situation or their lifestyle better, um, they, they are happier people. And um, our practice with our younger physicians, as we have brought them on board, um, I think, um, you know, some of us are very old school, but have recognized that actually our partners are happier people because, especially if it's a young woman who's married and thinking about starting a family, we offer them part-time from the beginning because what inevitably happens is they end up having a baby and then they come to us and ask for part-time. And so I think practices and even uh, academic positions, subspecialty positions could start to think of how do you bring on board happy people? And that is by offering them a lifestyle that seems really wonderful. And that it doesn't feel punitive or somehow that you're less than because you're not working. I mean, I had a physician tell me one day that he saw, I don't know, 40 patients a day. And I thought I could not be a good physician, me personally, and do that. I mean, I, how could I talk to my patients in that I would be in and out and I'm afraid I'd miss things. So that sort of work workaholic almost is really not mm-hmm. healthy for anybody. And I don't think it necessarily makes us better. I, what about things like encouraging therapy and what about, you know, do people abuse substances? I mean, are we above that? I don't think so. Right. Oh, not at all. Yeah, I I think that's what the pattern I think people fall into when they go through areas of burnout is they start to rely on um, things like substances, alcohol, marijuana, um, those types of of things. I I do feel like in terms of wellness therapy um, for some people is incredibly important. And like I said, having somebody at work to talk to, but I think clearly therapy is going to give people some strategies and coping mechanisms that I think will help them avoid leaning on substances or, you know, going down the pathway of suicide where you get so depressed about the work that you do that, you know, ultimately you feel like that's the final answer. Right. One of the things that we've done at our institution is one of the social workers created a critical incident stress management team or CISM. And so when there were, you know, bad events at the hospital, this team would go and do debriefs. And most of the time it was the nursing staff that would come. So it might be a child's death, you know, something really, really impactful. And often the physicians wouldn't come. And when they did, it was huge to the staff. But what we started doing was if there was a physician that was involved and didn't come to that, 
we would um, reach out to them, just kind of cold call. And initially, I was part of that peer support group. Initially, I was really worried, like, oh, are they going to be upset that I, you know, somehow violated their privacy? And two a one, they would say, thank you so much for asking about me. And we, we tried to create like a, a hot button physician support line, provider support for nurse practitioners, PAs, and physicians. And that route didn't work as well as actually reaching out to them. Mm-hmm. I can imagine, but I think that's incredibly important as to, I guess I would ask, why wouldn't they come? It seems like it, very important for the physician to be part of the process of having people go through kind of crisis intervention. So I, I think that's really, really important. And the peer group support, you know, with the wellness advisory group, one of the things we've tried to figure out, especially with COVID, is people just want to talk to somebody. And how do you develop a peer network that somebody could tap into and so much uh, of what is thought there's a couple of emergency medicine docs on the wellness advisory group and they want to talk to other emergency medicine people because their experiences are very different than yours and I's in general practice and so there is this discussion of how do we build a network where somebody could reach out to a peer group or just there's a zoom call that's scheduled you know every Saturday for people just to kind of um, chat with one another who are experiencing similar types of grief and crisis and and those types of things, whether it's COVID or not. Um, And on that track about COVID, what are there some things that are specific to it burnout? I mean, I think we're all wondering, you know, when is this thing going to end and are we going to get our vaccines? And um, are there any other things that you've seen with COVID in terms of your wellness work? Well, I, I think the impact of certainly the hospitalists and the emergency medicine docs, I mean, what happened with a lot of them was different than what happened in general peds. Our practices got very quiet. People didn't come. And some of the folks who ended up working in or work in academic centers or community hospitals actually had to take care of seniors with COVID. And so their pace picked up. They were overwhelmed. They were working god-awful hours. And they were constantly in crisis mode. So I think that impacted those folks very differently than it impacted others. I think the other pocket, which I'm sure uh, you all are seeing as well, is the emotional well-being of our patients and their family, especially the adolescents. So I think that some of the issues in emergency rooms, private practice, even hospitals, the rate of hospitalization and um, of kids in crisis from an emotional perspective. I think last week when I looked at my schedule, over 50% of the visits coming in were for psychological reasons, depression, anxiety, parents now thinking their kids have ADHD because they're remote learning and they can't focus on a Zoom call for four hours. And Me neither. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's what I... <clears throat> I tell them that's okay because I can't either exactly. But I do think this impact has, at the beginning, everybody was scared. Now there's some acceptance going on. But I, I think that the physicians in my practice are overwhelmed by the amount of mental health we're dealing with. And I think that that's caused a lot of stress in the physician's life because that's hard, really hard work because I don't think there's a simple solution. It's not like a strep throat and you can just write your prescription. This is a long intervention when kids start to go through these processes. Absolutely. And I did actually a a couple of podcasts, one, um, the end of December, I did one with um, Dr. Zakia Lavi on, uh, she's a child psychiatrist, and we talked about strategies for kids um, by age group, which was a really interesting um, 
way to break it down I hadn't thought about. So, And then I also talked to another child psychiatrist who is a consult liaison and triple boarded, interestingly, um, in PEDS. So but he said the numbers of kids and eating disorders, which I thought was really interesting. And he said, Mm -hmm. that's a national thing. And I wondered, you know, if I don't have control over anything, well, I can control what I eat or don't eat. I I don't know if that's true or not, but I thought that was interesting and I wouldn't have expected that. Right. As you say that, I had a partner just the other day say, how many eating disorders have you seen in the last couple of months? So she she had noticed it as well. But I think that the concept is they can't control school, they can't control their home, so they can control their food, I guess. Right. Well, it's kind of just, you know, coming to some pearls. What are some things that we can do to model for our residents and med students um, and our partners? I mean, are there some things that you do and hope that your partners see that? Um, well, in my practice... We, we, we started developing kind of wellness activities. And so we started um, recording each one of the physicians reading stories, like a favorite book. For themselves we, or for your patients? For or? our patients. Yeah. <gasps> I love that. Um, so we recorded them and then posted them on our website and, you know, then sent out a notification to our patients that um, we called it my practice is pediatrics 5280. So it was read, read with peds 5280. And um, people got creative and dressed up and brought little, um, you know, funny things to have with them while they read the story. So that, that was really fun. And it was fun for the physicians. And then the patients who saw it would come in and tell us how wonderful that was. Um, And I think it just created, especially we were kind of, it was, I think we did this in like May and, um, people were kind of down. And so that was fun. And then we've had um, dress up as your favorite superhero. And we've had a day or a day where everybody brought in their favorite picture of their pet. And we put them all on a door and people guessed whose pet belonged to whom. Um, And so I think you can do some creative things that bring you know, pets bring joy to all of us. Right. And sure. so, and that, that we posted in September and the pictures are still up on the door because everybody just likes looking at the pets. And so I think you can get creative um, and try to think of some things that make people think outside of the office, but you bring your personal life a little bit into the office, um, but also are happy and fun and innovative and creative. I love those ideas. I know we did one time baby pictures, you know, and posted, you know, our baby pictures and try to guess who's who, you know, staff and physicians. And that was, that was fun. But I, I love the reading thing. That is so nice. It was, it was really fun. The one that's lasted the longest remarkably is, is we do something called the gift fairy. And once in a while, somebody will anonymously bring something in and it's, it's for the staff. It's not for the providers. Um, so somebody brought in a bunch of bath bombs one day and somebody else brought in some gift cards. Um, uh, someone else dropped off coloring books and colored pencils. And so, and we just call it the gift fairy because nobody knows who it is. Well, it's, it's a provider in the practice. Um, and we've kind of take turns being the gift fairy and for the staff, it just brings morale. You know, it brings them a beat. They realize we do care about them. They work so hard. Um, and so the gift fairy has lasted the longest. We did something for staff that were going above and beyond coming in for flu shot clinics and volunteering for that and did some fun baths. My, one of my partners and I went to Target and we just 
shopped and it was a blast. That was fun. And I'm wondering if maybe we need to do that for each other too. I mean, I think we're used to giving, right? For Mm -hmm. everybody else. And are there some things that we can do for each other? Absolutely. I think that it gives you that kind of support and same type of feeling like, oh, I feel very appreciated by what this person did for me. And I think it brings, again, like wellness. Well, and I think asking each other if you're, you know, are you okay? And I think we, of course, what do we always say? Oh, I'm fine. And even knowing when things are not fine and recognizing that sometimes we just need to remember we're people, not, we'd like to be superheroes, but we we really aren't. Well, I was going to ask you, um, if you could go back and talk to yourself as a resident or early career physician, is there some advice you would give a younger you? Well, I think we almost hit on it already, but uh, the younger me, if I could tell myself, I would have back then, because I've been in practice 27 years, I would have said from the beginning, take more time for yourself. And I, like you, worked in a practice uh, that there was an expectation about how many patients you're going to see, and you worked your tail off. And I wasn't always happy. I had two small children and would pick them up at 6.30 from daycare, go home, give them a bath, feed them, and put them to bed. And I look back, and even my kids today will make comments once in a while of the things I missed. Mm -hmm. And it was never more telling to me than um, my daughter was a swimmer. And in high school, they did a banquet. And I was somewhere else. And my sister-in-law was kind of their sports nanny. She'd pick them up and take them places to their athletics and things. And I wasn't there. And um, they have the kids come up when they get an award. And my sister-in-law and my husband went up with her to get her award. And she had made one of those big faces of me on a popsicle stick and put it in front of her face. So it looked like I was there. And it was a joke and everybody thought it was funny. But for me personally, I realized I missed some things and I should have been there. And work was not, I should have, work shouldn't have taken over those personal happiness points in your kid's life or in my own life. I think it probably hits a nerve for us. Um, I, you know, I think of similar things, but what my kids are like, mom, when you weren't there, dad was there and that was okay. I mean, he, I, I, mm-hmm. that would be the other advice I'd give to younger people is like, make sure who you choose your partner, <laughs> you yes. know, that's a really important pick. And, you know, I mean, he stepped up, he was the room dad, he could do all those things that I sometimes couldn't. And, um, and I'm not sure that that was a bad thing. I mean, I think it, it, they have a special relationship with him because of that. Um, oh, I agree. Yeah. If I wasn't there, he was there and, you know, vice versa, he's a physician as well. And so mm. there were times when I was there and he wasn't. So right. you, you kind of trade those roles off for sure. Yeah. Well, our children, what, what's the famous, you know, it takes a village. It's not just our responsibility. I mean, that's the burden that we bear as parents and certainly mothers, you know, I'm supposed to be there from do everything and Nobody else could do it like me, you know, so. Oh, of course, right. Yeah, yeah. Well, I hope that you will take some time for yourself. And I really appreciate this. And, you know, I I love some of your ideas. They're simple things. I mean, these are Mm -hmm. not complicated and they're not expensive things. So I'll make sure that we include some links to some of these pages. And, you know, because I think they're important Sometimes I get a little overwhelmed looking at like all the links that I could go to, but we'll try and include some of the key links so people aren't too overwhelmed. Great. That sounds terrific. 
Yeah, well, thanks so much. And I hope you have a great day. You're very welcome. It was nice talking. You have a nice day too. A big thanks to Dr. Middlemist for her recommendations, suggestions, and, well, really fun ideas to feel better. The first thing I want to say is that one person can come up with an idea and it can really go somewhere. Dr. Middlemist and her colleague came up with the idea of promoting physician wellness, took it to the American Academy of Pediatrics Annual Leadership Forum, and it grew into the Wellness Advisory Group. So a lot of the recommendations and ideas come from that group. She talked about wellness silos, breaking that down into taking care of self, family, job and career, and finances. I hadn't really thought about the financial piece, but I know for so many of my colleagues, particularly residents and early career physicians, this is a huge thing for you. I know, as I mentioned on the podcast, I didn't pay off my student loans until I was 40. And I know for many of you, you have enormous debt and my heart goes out to you. I hope you'll find some suggestions and recommendations on the AAP website and links that might be helpful as you look at ways to move forward. Peer support is really important and networks with like-minded individuals is really helpful. So those of us in general practice, rural practices, hospitalist practices, academicians, meeting with others that are in similar roles is helpful because then we understand each other's day-to-day. So what can you do every day to feel better and take care of yourself? Number one, and note, these are all things that we tell our patients all the time. So number one, exercise. Number two, eat well. Number three, get enough sleep. Number four, speak up and speak out when you don't feel well and ask for help. We talked a bit about substance use disorder and the rates of depression and suicidal ideation in those in the healthcare field. And we need to know we're not invincible and that we sometimes need help. Recognizing when your colleagues are struggling is also really important. And asking them, are you really okay, is not a bad thing. It's all right. um, And we all need help sometimes. Dr. Middlemiss shared some really fun wellness activities that she does in her practice And I think the most fun one was all of the partners reading stories and then posting them on the website for children to look at. So these were all kinds of children's books. And I just think that sounds like so much fun. Sometimes they dress up as superheroes. They've put up pictures of their pets and tried to figure out whose pet is whose. And I just think those are sort of fun things that maybe bring little bits of joy Of course, the biggest joy, I think, for pediatricians and pediatric nurse practitioners and PAs is taking care of kids because they always make you laugh. And that has been so much joy for me. So my message today is take care of yourselves, even if you just find one idea of something to do and recognizing if you're not feeling well. So be safe out there, get your vaccine, and I'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Pediatric Meltdown. I know how busy you are, and I so appreciate your time. If this has been helpful, please subscribe and leave a five-star review. I would love to hear from you and welcome all feedback, ideas, and suggestions for future episodes. In the words of Maya Angelou, do the best you can until you know better. 
Then, when you know better, do better. Let's do better together.